There was a man who had gone in for a job interview, and as he was reaching the end of the interview, came to the spot where the human resource person said, Sir, what is it that you are looking for as far as a salary? And the man said, Well, I'm looking for $140,000. And, uh, of course, that would depend on the benefits package. And so the, the man said, well, what would you say to a package of five weeks of vacation, 14 paid holidays, full medical and dental company matching retirement fund to 50% of salary and a company car leased every two years, let's say a red Corvette. And the guy says, wow, are you kidding? He says, yes, but you started it. <laughs> Indeed. Sometimes we come into things with a wrong idea and a, a wrong idea of what we're supposed to be. Be doing. We've been talking the last couple of weeks on becoming more of a servant, understanding what a servant is. But many times people come into the area of being a servant and they have the wrong idea. And because of it, we're doing the wrong things. We're not going about it the way that God wants us to. Before we had looked at the different type of attitudes we have in, in being a servant, we have those that see that I am a, a servant of God. I serve God by serving others. We have those that see themselves as a worker, and they serve others, and they constantly work, constantly labor, constantly are putting out, trying to help. Every time they see a need, they feel like they have to, to meet that. They're always working, and working hard. They're the Marthas of the world. Believe, believe in God, love God, but just uh, doing the wrong things. They're letting people dictate what it is they need to do, and you don't want to do that. Then there are those who... Well, you know, they, the relatives that come in, put their feet up, wait for people to make the food, serve them the food, clean up after them, and then they just go on home. That's the wrong kind of person to be, too. You won't learn about God in there. That will hinder your, your spiritual development. You don't want to be in the, the two groups outside of the one that is a servant of God. That's where you want to be. And we spent some time looking at, at these things. Jesus, We looked at Jesus' parable last time of the laborers and their pay and how... Those who came in early in the morning and worked all day got the same pay as those who came in at the final hour. And some people thought, well, that isn't fair. But Jesus said, hey, I can do whatever I want with my money. I can do whatever I want. If I want to be generous, I can be generous. And he made this statement, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If Jesus' purpose is to come into this life and to serve, we need to follow his example. The problem is, folks, that we have followed a wrong example too often. We followed a religious example, and we haven't followed a godly one. If Jesus came into this world to serve, then how Jesus served when he came into this world is what we should do. And that's what we need to look at. I put in your uh, outline, sometimes we give our time, our money, our strength, and our blessings, not because we are directed to serve, but because we feel enslaved by guilt or duty. Jesus was never enslaved by guilt or duty. He never gave to people because he felt guilty. He never gave them because he felt obligated. He gave to them because God directed. Because he did what, what the Lord told him. He went where the Lord told him to go. He did what the Lord told him to do when he got there. And there are times that he would leave a place. Go someplace else. But I want to take a look at another uh, story out of the Old Testament. Second Kings chapter 3, if you turn over there. We've looked at this story a few times over the years. Second Kings chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse 1. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal and his, that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now, Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel, or king Ahab, 100,000 lambs of the wool of 100,000 rams. And it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So the king Jehoram went out, to, out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go out with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as your pe you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. 
Now, this is not the first time we've seen this phrase in Scripture. Jehoshaphat used this same phrase when he joined up with Ahab. And they went out in the battle. That's the story where Micaiah, the, the uh, prophet, was called in. And he said, well, go and be blessed. You'll, you'll win. And, of course, Ahab said, how many times have I told you only to tell me what the Word of God has said? And then he, his whole countenance changed. And he, he said, this is what I saw. And it was not favorable. And it was not good. But still, Jehoshaphat went into battle with Ahab. We see that Jehoshaphat had a marriage alliance with Ahab. That he had actually taken, uh, I believe it's one of his daughters, and married one of Ahab's sons then joined a blessed line with a cursed line. We've spent some time on that before. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time into that right now. But in Second Chronicles 18 and verse 1, it reads this way, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. Jehoshaphat was a good king. He was a God-fearing king. God says uh, he, he was really outstanding. I mean, next to David, Jehoshaphat is probably the best king they had. He was a good king. Ahab is one of the worst. What is one of the best followers of God doing joined up with one of the worst? Why would you get together and, and, and merge that? He, he did it with Ahab before, and he's going to do it with his son here. He didn't learn his lesson. He almost died joining up with Ahab. Almost died in battle. But they were all just after the king Ahab, and when he took off his, his robe... And showed, that, hey, I'm not Ahab, I'm Jehoshaphat. Then they all relented from trying to pursue him. And they went after Ahab and eventually Ahab did die. But Jehoshaphat didn't learn that. He still joined to this family. Now you've got to wonder about that. Why is Jehoshaphat so joined to, this, to the, this group over here who has determined not to follow after God? Prophets are dispatched into Israel to tell them, you guys need to repent, you need to come back. And they don't listen. So why does Jehoshaphat keep doing this? Well, this is what we're going to take a look at in this, this uh, story here. Um, we see that Ahab married Jezebel. You all remember Jezebel. Jezebel is the daughter of the king of Tyre. How many good things did the word of God have to say about the king of Tyre? <laughs> not much. We're going to wipe that whole place out. In fact, the prophecy came against Tyre that not only are you going to be wiped out, but every stone is going to be scraped clean so that nothing is left. And when you conquer a city, you don't usually do that. That's not the normal way that they, they waste their time doing all that. But if you remember the story, when Alexander came, Alexander is the one who fulfilled that prophecy, Alexander the Great. And when he came down to the city of Tyre, he conquered it. But there was a little island city that was off of Tyre, and he wanted to conquer it, and no one had conquered it. It was a tough city to, to conquer because it was surrounded by water. And so he's the, he, he was a brilliant man as far as uh, being a general was concerned. And he said, how can we defeat this, this city? And he came up with the idea that let's, let's take all of the stones that are here in Tyre, throw them into the water, and we will build a peninsula out to the island city, and no longer will it be an island city. And so that's what they did. They scraped every stone that there was, took every stone from the wall, they took every stone from the buildings, and they threw them into the water and built a peninsula out to it. And so the word of God was fulfilled by a heathen king. And that was done. God did not want any trace of that place left over. Well, Ahab was the son of Omri. And I just want to read a couple of those scriptures here to you. In the twelfth year of, and this is Second uh, Kings chapter 8, verse 25. In the twelfth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Amri, king of Israel. Now, in the twelfth year of Jehoram, the king of Ahab, or the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of what? King of Judah. Ahab is king of what nation? He's king of Israel. Judah is not Israel, is it? They're separate. So Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of who? Omri, who was the father of Ahab, who was king of Israel. How does a granddaughter become the, of the king of Israel become the mother of a king of Judah? It's because of Jehoshaphat. 
it seems, and not only did he, it, it appears that he gave his daughter to be married into that family, but he also had one of Ahab's daughters come over and marry his son. The people were brought in. Now, if you know the rest of the story of, of this, uh, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. She killed all the house of Judah, all the rulers. Now, the curse on Ahab was that all his, all his uh, descendants would die and there would be no one for the throne for him. And yet one from his house has infiltrated the king of Judah and is carrying it out against the king of Judah. Why? Because of Jehoshaphat. But, Jeho- but, but uh, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. And eventually he comes back and he becomes king and he kills her. That was a bad thing for him to do, wasn't it? That was a bad union. Why is it that that Jehoshaphat kept feeling pulled to go in this direction? In 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 8, Then he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, By way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that follow up. Now, when they asked this question, there's basically two ways they could go. They could go across the Jordan and go directly to the battle and just go and fight against Moab. But they didn't do that. They decided to go all the way around to eat, all the way around the wilderness of Edom, the purpose of which Edom was a uh, servant to the house of Judah. So if you go through Edom, you can pick up some more warriors. Everything they are doing in this battle is in the flesh. You may as well keep it going. You may as well get more people. So they go on back down through Edom and they pick up some extra warriors. And they bring them along with them. But this is a much longer journey than it needed to be. And they went through a place where there was no resources and they did not bring enough resources themselves. And so for this huge army they have, they have no water for them. That's a bad thing. It's one thing not to have food. You can march a little ways when you have no food, but no water. You're not going to get very far. Now look at these people that Jehoshaphat has joined himself up with. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Is that right? Have you ever been connected with people who have a wrong idea about God? And as soon as something happens in your life that isn't quite right, what do they say? Well, God's doing this to teach you something. Or God's doing this to me because... And they have a wrong idea. And you can't get the right thing through to them. They just have the wrong idea. You've got to be careful because they can get this wrong idea spread into you. Don't be hanging around with, with that kind of stuff. So this is, the, this is uh, the king of Israel's idea here. Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. They haven't sought the Lord's direction. They haven't asked the Lord's counsel. They haven't said, Lord, which way should we go? They've devised all this on their own. And now you want to blame it on God? Eh, that's not necessarily what we ought to do. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Now this is exactly what he said to Ahab when they were having trouble. And he said, well, is there no prophet of the Lord? Can we get somebody from the Lord to come on in and to prophesy? He did it with Ahab before the battle. He does this while they're on the way to the battle. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now before with Ahab, they called Micaiah up. But they're not going to trust that Elisha is going to come to where they are. We need to go to where he is. Elisha's a little higher standing prophet. Micaiah, maybe they could get him to come on into the, into the group. But uh, they know Elisha's not coming over here to us. If we want to find out what he has to say, we've got to go down. And it's a whole lot better to go down to him and then talk with him to say, Hey, will you come up here? He says, No. That's not good. So they know better than to do that. So they head on down to where Elisha is. But, of course, uh, alas for the Lord. Oh, it's the Lord's fault. 
the Lord has done. No, you didn't plan. You didn't make proper preparation. You went in a direction. And now you're going to blame it on God? You went through the wilderness and you don't have any water and you're going to blame it on God? I put in your outline, hang around with the wrong people and they will feed you with wrong ideas about God. Folks, we, have, we as a church have got a lot of wrong ideas about God because we've hung out too much with the world. Don't be doing it. If you're going to be a servant, be a servant the way Jesus was, not the way the world wants you to be. If you're going to be a witness for God, be a witness for God. Be a witness for the truth of His Word, but know His truth. How many of y'all know we don't always like the truth of His Word? We don't always like it, but we do need to hear it. Well, let's go on here. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Is that the response you would expect to hear? <laughs> you come down to the prophet of God. You're seeking after God's counsel. You're seeking after God's wisdom. What should we do? And you come down to the man of God and says, What are you doing here? Why do I even want to deal with you? Why are you here? Is that the kind of response you would expect? What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Uh, this is kind of like along the same lines as uh, you know, what we were telling you before when people call. Because you know, when people call, they, when they get in trouble, they always call churches for money. That's what they do. They call churches for money. They just open up the phone book and they just start going down. Start with uh, letter A and keep on going down until you, you get there. Now, you know, we start with a Z. <clears throat> We get a lot of, you know, they're working their way on down. I don't think they ever started Z and worked their way up. But anyway, they eventually get to us and they do call. And I told you one of the things we used to say to them is, uh, uh, you know, well, that's fine. You know, we'll work through your pastor. Who's the pastor of the church you go to now? Well, you know, for different reasons. Well, we just moved into the area. Well, we haven't really found a church that we like. Well, we all these different reasons. and But they're not in the church. And so my response to them was, well, if you're not going to a church now, why do you call a church when you have a need? And most people didn't like to hear that. They got mad. Some of them got mad enough of me that hung up the phone. Well, I took care of the problem. <laughs> yeah, they, didn't, they didn't always like that. But you see, sometimes, and I remember this from Keith Moore. Keith Moore was telling us when they had the counseling center, and Brother Hagen had shared with them, and they, they closed the counseling center down. Because the Lord witnessed him and says, you need to get out of counseling. I never told you to get into counseling. I told you to have a prayer and healing school, not a prayer, healing, and counseling center. And so they closed down the counseling center. That was when I was at school over there. And Ken Stewart was over the counseling center. And I remember him in class the next day. says, man, what do you do? When the, the job that you have at the school, the president just said, we're closing it. Because <laughs> he was head of the counseling center. He wasn't here at prayer and healing. He was head of the counseling center. And he eventually did, uh, did leave Rama and went on to something else. But... Um, uh, yeah, what do, you, what do you do by that? And, but this is what the Lord said to him. He says, many of the people that are calling you for counseling do not have a pastor and do not have a church. And he says, that's most of their problem right there. And so he got out of it. He, uh, he pulled, that, pulled that back. You've got to be careful, folks. Sometimes we're giving counsel to people. And the reason they have a problem is because they're not in a church. They're not going after the word. They're not pursuing God. You can't counsel them out of that. So Elisha says, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. In other words, go to what you have depended on so far and depend on it now. Why are you coming to me? Why are you now going to depend on God? Because don't you get mad at that sometimes? People have been dependent on other stuff and now all of a sudden, well, I'm going to depend on God. Yeah, why? Because you believe in him? Because you love him? Because you wised up? No, because you have no other choice. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Same thing he said before. That's the stupidest thing to say to a prophet of God. Why in the world are you down here? You're saying that God has called us together to be destroyed. The prophet of God can just say, Well, go be destroyed. What are you down here with me for? And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives. Understand what he says here. <clears throat> before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Now this is a king. This is a king of Israel. God's called people. And he says, I wouldn't even look on your... This is a prophet who's called to what land? Elisha is called to what land? Israel. 
Remember, he's, he's succeeded Elijah. Elijah dealt with who? Ahab. Elisha's picking up in the same place. And he says, I wouldn't even look at you. <laughs> I wouldn't even bother looking at you. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now, notice the wording there. He says, I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat. It does not say he regards the judgment. More than likely, this is a bad judgment call that Jehoshaphat made to be here. But because Jehoshaphat is there, Elisha will pay attention to it. Does God want to pay attention to this situation? That's a hard one to answer, isn't it? Does God desire to help these guys out? Well, understand, this is how I get it from it. God is torn. I would rather not be here at all. And if it was just Edom and Israel, I wouldn't be. But because Jehoshaphat is here, I'm here. What that tells me is this. Sometimes we can make the same wrong judgment calls that Jehoshaphat has, has made and drag God into a situation he prefers not to be involved with. Don't you get that? There's other places like this. Beside this one, there's other ones as well where people have done this. You've got to be careful. Are you taking the name of God, are you taking God into a situation where you should? Jehoshaphat, for some reason, feels connected. He's not, there's no relation to them. There's no, there's no bond that's there except Jehoshaphat feels, well, you guys are Israel, we're Judah, we're all from Abraham. You know, way back, you know, we're, I guess we're related, but whatever the reason is, he's bound to this thing. And he was with Ahab despite the, des the destruction that came. And he is here. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches, not wells, ditches. A ditch is different. Well is deep. Ditch is, you know, maybe a few feet. It's not, not, not all that. It's just a ditch. Make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. And you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and, shut, and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. What is the common theme here? Every. 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 <laughs> I want it all gone. I want you to take these guys out. I want you to, to destroy this. I, I want you to attack every fortified city and every choice city. And you shall cut down every good tree. And you shall stop up every spring of water. And you shall ruin every good piece of land with stones. Every one. That's a job. That's not just going there and defeat them. That's, that's a job. So they got some work cut out for him. But he, said, he tells them all, this is all I want you to do. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. So they had to go out immediately and dig the ditches. If you need water, do you need ditches? If you need water, could you understand if the Lord said, uh, uh, you know, dig some wells? Oh, I guess there must be water here. He's telling us there's water here. We'll dig a well. He didn't say dig a well. He said dig a ditch. We dig a ditch. There's no water in the wilderness that we're going to find digging a ditch. How many times are people out there? Because you've got two kings who don't follow God, one king who does. So more than likely you have two nations who don't follow God and one nation who does. And the instruction is dig ditches. How many people are out there digging ditches and some of them are grumbling and complaining? Why are we digging these ditches? We need water. Why are we digging ditches? Ditches are not going to help us. How can that possibly be? Elisha has a way with people of telling them things that will happen that seem impossible. And it comes about. This is, a, this is not the first time he's done this. did that also with the, uh, uh, with the, the folks who um, were under plate in the city, held up, no food. He said, tomorrow food's going to be cheap. And it was. So go out there and dig ditches. So they're out there and digging ditches. 
this is what happened in this area uh, from research I had done before. There's some mountains there, and in the mountains it would rain. It would rain hard, and it would create a flash flush or flash uh, flood, and it would come rushing down into the valley, and it would just pour into the into the place there, and then go away. And so what the Lord is saying here is, dig the ditch. We're going to catch that water. So he already knows that the water has already fallen. In fact, he had to send the water to fall way before this to be falling and on the way. And they had to be obedient to catch it. Here's the thing about this. The blessing of water is already on the way before they even sought the prophet. What they needed is already on the way. But they don't know how to tap into it. And he tells them, this is how you tap into it. The blessing is already coming to you. Now, if you don't hear what to do, you're going to miss it. It's going to go right by. You're not going to get any of it. But they dug the ditches. And the water came and it rushed over top of the ditches. And it filled up the ditches with water. They came on over and they, they uh, took care of that. What if they only dug two or three ditches? I mean, how many would you dig if the Lord God, Lord God said to you, dig some ditches? How many would you dig? I'll tell you what, God has done this many times. Remember he told the woman, uh, bring the uh, vessels into the, into the house and don't bring a few. And she got every one she could. I mean, she, she filled that house up with vessels. She did a good job. They told another one who was uh, going into battle. And he said, strike the ground with the arrows in your hand. And he struck the ground three times. And the prophet rebuked him and said, why did you only strike it three times? You should have struck it six or seven times. Then you would have completely destroyed him. Now you're just going to have a major victory. God doesn't always tell you how fervent to be at something. But give it your all. Go in there. If you're going to dig ditches, God, if you want ditches, I'm going to make some ditches for you. <laughs> How many? There's still some area over there. Dig some ditches over there. I can, I can just see Jehoshaphat up there. There's still some stuff over there. Go get the, take care of that. Wait a minute. Wait. I can still see a, a whole patch. Of, go dig over here. And he had ditches just all over the place. We're going to get some water. And the Ahab maybe said, why are we digging more ditches? And Jehoshaphat says, hey, you brought me in here. We got my prophet. This is what he said. You don't have a plan. I got a plan. We're digging ditches. Now dig. <laughs> and when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered and they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining on the water. There's not supposed to be water there. They come on down. They've never seen water in this place. But they see water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, This is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and they have killed one another. Now therefore, Moab, to the spoil. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Now if you are a soldier... And they brought everybody they could. They brought trained and untrained soldiers into this battle. They brought everybody they could to face this, this mob of people that was there. And if you hear the call, go out and get the spoil, instead of go out to get to war, are you dressed differently? You're not dressed for battle. If you're going to go run to get the spoil, you're not going to load your arms up with shields and swords and spears. You're going to keep your arms empty so that you can carry spoil back. Right? Because the more stuff of yours you're carrying, the less stuff of theirs you're going to be able to bring back. And you want some money. So greed got hold of them. And they all come running down into the place where they're at, ready to take their stuff, and here they are. But they're armed with spears, swords, and shields. And they just take them out. So what God brought about to take care of the water problem also took care of the battle problem. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees, but they left the stones of Kir Haraseth intact. However, the slingers surrounded it and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom. He thought that was the weak link. But they could not. Then he took his oldest or eldest son 
who would have reigned in his place and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was a great indignation against Israel. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. I'm sure there's more to this story than we have right here. But he does this thing. He gets up on the wall so that everybody can see and he sacrifices his son who's going to reign in his place. And everybody was so appalled that they got sick and they just, well, forget this, let's go home. So they got every city except this one. I mean, isn't this a fortified city? If they're held up in it, isn't it fortified? What did God say about it? Take it out. Did they take it out? No. So they did everything except one. <laughs> Is God happy with that? No. Is God happy that, well, you know, you got everyone except one. Well, well, no. Yeah, but God, we got grossed out by that. Well, you would have killed the son anyway. He just helped you out. Yeah, we didn't, didn't quite do that. But you see, this, this union, Jehoshaphat feels drawn to the house of Ahab. For whatever the reasons that he's got, he feels drawn to it. Either there's guilt there, there's a, a, a bond that's there, he feels like he's a, there's a duty because they're Israel. Whatever it is, he feels drawn to this and he keeps being brought into battles he's not supposed to be brought into. And Jehoshaphat would obey the word of God fully. But he's surrounded with people who won't. And so he now is a part of another battle where they didn't fulfill the word of God. Now turn over to Matthew. I want to go back over to Jesus' teachings on this. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. But what do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two sons did the will of the father? They said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. They had just come to him asking him about, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to trap Jesus. Here's where we're going with this question. Here's what, this is a question I ask God. It says, God, when we serve people, how many of you have, how many of you have served people? You have, you have folks at work. And you've been trying to get that person at work saved for years. And you've done all kinds of things to try and get them saved. And they haven't responded. Anybody have that? Anybody have somebody that you've been working on for a long time? Somebody at work? Somebody at place? And, you know, just keep doing things and doing things and doing things. I ask God this. I said, when, do we, when do you stop? Have you ever wondered that? When do you, when do you stop? Now, here's the religious answer. Never. Never. You just keep on going, keep on. Now, remember, Jesus is our example. Were there people that Jesus stopped? Were there people that, that Jesus stopped giving to? When Jesus came into this world, what did he give? He taught. He healed. He ministered. Then notice what he did? If you go through the list of things he did, he, he came. He said, I've been sent to teach, to heal, the minister, he listed the things he was supposed to do. That's what, he came into a place, that's what he did. Were there places he came into and could not teach? Were there places he came into and could not heal? Were there places he came into and could not minister? Were there places he came into and they did not receive him? Yeah, how did he respond? Well, if he responded that way, why aren't you? Why aren't I? Why do we constantly feel like, well, I got to do this? Put this in your outline. Why does Jehoshaphat join himself to Israel? He may feel like he's supposed to. Well, they're brethren. <laughs> I mean, they're our brethren. He may be, maybe guilt is used. Maybe Ahab guilts him. Into, maybe he's got some kind of thing. Hey, you know, we, we, we do have this union. We do have this treaty going on. Whatever it is, he keeps going after it. But this is a man who loves God. Who keeps joining up with people who don't despise God worship idols do things in worship remember Elijah up on the mountain the way he rebuked them from this as I was meditating on there's four ways people respond to you there are four different ways I just you can probably find some nuances in between this but basically four different ways people respond to you when you try and help them anybody try and help anybody this week Nobody, okay, I'll call people. How many of you know, if you try and help somebody, they are going to respond to you. It may be good. It may be bad. 
It may be indifferent, but they're going to have a response to you. Somehow they're going to respond to you because you tried to help them. Here's the first one. And we're going to go back to the story that Jesus just said here and show you where it is. First one. They are open to what you say and do it. In other words, they put it to work. They are open to the things you say and they do it. How many of you have some people in your life that they really cherish the word of God that you know, that the wisdom of God that you have, and when they come to you with a Bible question, when they come to you with a God question, they look forward to your answer, and when you give them an answer, they go out and they do it. Do you have people like that in your life? Thank God we have some. <laughs> How many of you like to have more? Aren't there other people we like? I mean, all you got to do is say, tell it to them, and they'll go out there and they'll do it. Oh, glory to God. It's good to have those kind of folks in your life. They're open to what you say and do it. Open to what you say and they do it. Here's the second group. They seem open to what you say, but neglect it. How many of you got those people in your life? You, they come to you and say, how can, I over, how can I change it? How can I make this better? And you say, well, if you do this, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds like that would work. And they go out and what do they do? Nothing. Nothing. I'll bet you you see this mostly in finances. How many people have ever, because you have money, or at least you have more money than the person who's coming to you, or they think you have more money, <laughs> one or the other. But they come to you because, you know, you got your affairs in order. And they come to you and they ask you, how did you do this? And they ask you advice and you give them advice and what do they do? Oh, well, that's really good advice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can do that. And you touch base with them a, a week, two weeks, a month later. How's that going? Did you put that to work? Did you do? No, well, you know, I thought about it, but I just, I didn't do that. You have people like that in your life? How many of you have more of those type of people than the first group? Unfortunately, that's the case of it. Just about every one of us here, we have more that are in that. But just think about this way. We were once those people. <laughs> we're, not, we're not we once. We would hear the word of God on something and we would neglect it. Yeah, we were once those people. They seem open to what you say, but they neglect it. This is the same one that Jesus said where the, the son go out in the field and work today. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And then what happens? He didn't do it. He neglected it. Here's the second one. Or the third one. They seem resistant to what you say, but go and think on it. Do you have people in your life where you say something to them and they're just they're resistant to it? They're resistant. No, no, that's not right. I don't, I don't like that way. I don't, no, that's not right. And I'm not going to do that. And they go away and they think about it and they think about it and they come back to you and say, you know what, I did what you said and it worked. And it worked. What's that like? That's like the other son who said, I'm not going to go work in the field and went away and felt bad and went on out there and worked in the field anyway. Thought about it and said, you know, I should go out there and work in my field. It's, it's, you know, I get benefit from it. My dad needs me to go out and work in the field. I should go out and work in the field. And eventually he went out there and worked in the field. Jesus said, which one of them did the will of the Father? Well, obviously the second one did. Here's the fourth group. Closed to what you say. You can talk to them and they're not going to, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what you have to say. And they're not going to think about it at all. Do you have people like that in your life? Yeah, Jesus did too. They're called Pharisees, Sadducees. Right? They, didn't, they were not open to anything that Jesus had to say. They weren't going to go away and think about what Jesus had to say. They were done with Jesus. All they wanted to do was kill Jesus and get him out of the way. This is the group of people he's addressing in this story, with this story. That's those ones. The disciples that were with him were those that were open to what he said and generally did it. So you got all four of those groups of people. How many of y'all know we got those four groups of people in our life? Now, of those four groups, group one, group two, group three, and group four, which one should you spend most of your time on? Group one. Open to what you say and do it. Should you spend time there? Absolutely. Group two. Open to what you say but neglect it. All right, we'll spend some time there, but you know... <laughs> Until they start acting on what you say, I wouldn't put a whole lot into it. Seem resistant to what you say, but go and think on it. Yeah, I would put some time in. I would probably put more time into those than the second group. Because at least you know, all right, well, they don't like it. They're going to tell me about it. But they're going to go and think on it and come away with, with something. That's a little bit better of a group. How about the last group? Closed. 
So did you spend any time there? No. Did Jesus spend any time there? No. no. Here's what happens, folks. We often spend... Well, let me put it this way. Which one does the enemy, the devil, want you to spend time on? Number four. Because if he can get you to direct your time and your effort and all the word that you know and all that you got into group four, he's going to take away from what you got and it's not going to help them at all. Which one does God want to direct it to? Now, wouldn't it be easier if God just told us a word to neglect, for us to totally neglect group four? Wouldn't it be easier? Yeah, well, doggone if he didn't do that. Do you remember that Jesus taught that if you go into a city and they do not receive you, stay there until they do? Isn't that what he said? If the city does not accept your message, stay there until they do. Then why do we do it that way? What did he say? Shake the dust off your feet and go on to the next place. Don't waste your time on it. Isn't that what he's saying? But you see, the enemy wants to get you to spend time on group four. Because this is why. Not only will it drain you of your resources, it will discourage you. And keep you from sharing the gospel to other people. Because your idea is, no one wants to accept God. No one wants to receive the invitation. Remember a parable that Jesus told about a big banquet? And they invited all these people to come. And then when it came time for the banquet, they sent the invitation. Hey, it's all, dinner's ready, come on. Oh, well, you know, I just got married. I just bought a piece of property. I just uh, got some oxen. Uh, excuse me, I, I, I can't go. So what did Jesus say? Did he say, go back to them and beg them to please come? No, what's he say? Well, if they don't want to come, let's go out over here. Let's find these people. He says, I don't care what you got to do. Go out on the highways and byways. Get anybody you can and bring them on in. We have been spending too much time being servants to the wrong people. And we are serving out of guilt and duty instead of serving God and being directed by Him. Whom is God directing you to help? Whom is God directing you to serve? And how is He directing you to serve? That's what you need to do. Spend time where God says to spend time. Those people who put their feet up when they come over to your house and don't lift a finger, don't help at all, what group do you think they're in? My guess is they're in group four. Closed to everything. Not open to it at all. Don't be in that group. Don't be over there trying to mess with those, those folks. To help them. You can't help them until they get to a, to a place where they're, they're, um, they're going to listen. There isn't too much that you can do. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all, and servant of all. The religious interpretation of this is that whatever someone asks you to do, you need to do it. And that's wrong. Because you have become a servant of men and not a servant of God. We serve God by serving people. But remember, we serve God. He is the one we serve. God, do you, would you have me serve in this capacity? Would you have me serve in this area? Would you have me give my resources? Would you have me give my blessing? Would you have me give my time? Would you have me give, give the word that I know? Well, the word's cheap. It, it doesn't cost anything. Did Jesus give the word of truth to everyone? No. Let me call your attention to something. Why did he teach in parables? For the purpose that they would hear and not understand. And Jesus' common phrase was, For him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Folks, we keep talking to deaf people. And if you've been trying to witness and pull into church a neighbor, a friend, a co-worker... And every time you go, it's no, 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 no. Then we know what it's time for. Go to someone else. I remember a story, brother. Brother, I wasn't thinking about this before, so I didn't look up the details. So I'm kind of sketchy. If you hear the actual story and you hear details, 
that are different from my version, believe that one. Because yeah, it's been a while since I heard this one. But he, uh, he had a, a, I believe it was a relative of, of his that he was uh, praying for. And, and God instructed him, don't pray for them anymore. And he was shocked. What do you mean don't pray for them anymore? I said, don't pray for them anymore. Would God actually say that to you? Well, you remember Samuel praying for Saul? What did God say to him? Get up. How long will you plead for this man? If I have rejected him. And he went on and rebuked him. And he got up. And he, he went on. And sometimes we need to, sometimes we need to hear that. But um, Brother Hagin, he, said, he was kind of confused. Why, why would I, I stop praying for him? And he explained, I can't remember all the details of what he explained, but he explained it made perfect sense. And so this relative came on up to him and just, you know, well, pray for me. He says, I'm not going to. And he was shocked. What do you mean you're not going to? You always pray for me. No, I'm not going to. And he told him what the Lord said. It wasn't too long after that the guy got saved. Got saved, got born again. Why? Because he did what God said to do. Do what God says to do, not what guilt and duty say to do. Josh but constantly was brought into these situations because of guilt and duty. Don't follow it. What does God say? Should he have been in those battles? No. I love Elisha's words on this. I wouldn't even be looking at you guys if it weren't for Jehoshaphat. Be careful what you drag the Lord into because he will go with you. Hmm. I was clearing, I was telling my family, I said, I have to go out and find myself another moleskin book. You ever use those moleskin books? I carry one around. It fits in my uh, pocket real well. And whenever I get something from God on the thing, I uh, write it down. So I was going through it, pulling out something, making sure I have all the things out of that one before I put it in. And um, I saw this question. Sometimes you all ask me questions and I don't answer them right away because I don't always have the, the answer, but I generally pursue God on it. And I think somebody asked me this question some time ago and we just never got into it, but I got an answer from God on it. I don't know if it interests anyone here, so I'll throw it out to you. If it interests any of you, then you can tell me about it and I'll tell you what the answer was. I like the answer. I got blushes reading it again. But um, has, it, has anyone ever said, well, that's not very Christian of you? Anybody ever said that to you? What does it make you feel like doing? You know how you should answer it? Well, if anyone's interested, just let me know. Because I got from God's scripture on it. Exactly how I know Jesus answered that question. Jesus himself answered that question. And I tell you what, I love that, that thing there. So it helped me out with, with that. But Jesus, uh, when he goes in to serve, he did teachings, miracles, forgiveness. Does he give forgiveness to everybody? <laughs> he will if they ask. But if they don't ask, they don't receive. Would he heal everyone? He would if they ask, but they don't ask, so they don't receive. Would he teach everyone? If they had an attitude to receive, he'd teach them all. But not everybody had that. I put this in my outline. It's not in yours because I couldn't fit it in there. But sometimes it's not about finding the right person to minister as the one who needs God being in the right place of mind to receive. A lot of times we think that well, I just gotta, I just gotta keep going. I gotta keep that person at work. I just gotta keep going with that person at work. I just gotta keep going. And your continual pursuit of them is keeping them unsaved. Just like Brother Hagin's story. Your continual pursuit. You sometimes just need to back off of it. Sometimes it's not about finding the right person to minister. It's not always about the right person. Sometimes it's about them being the right frame of mind in the right place to receive. What gets them into a right place to receive? What can you do to bring somebody to a right place to receive? Isn't that a good question to ask? What can you do to bring somebody to the right place to receive? If there is something that you could do to bring people to a place to receive, don't you think Jesus would have done it? When Jesus came across people who didn't receive, what did he do? He moved on. That's why we're hitting this in the servant section. Because too often we are serving out of the flesh and not out of the spirit. And we're wearing ourselves out. And when God wants to use us as a servant for him, we're tired 
and we're done. You cannot reach everyone because not everyone puts them in a place to receive. And a lot of people are hiding behind religion. Just go on. Just go on. If you will go on, God can do some things to help bring those people back. I wish I could find that story that uh, Brother Hagen told us. Maybe if you can think of it. Maybe between them. Was his brother? Aretha's brother. There we go. He go talk to him afterwards because he probably knows the entire. I, I didn't do a real good job with it, did I? I did okay. All right. <laughs> Aretha's brother. That was the one. And um, I'll tell you what. He's got his story. I just love his stories. His stories just had such meaning to each one of them. I really, really enjoyed it. Sometimes, folks, we need to stop pursuing people so that God can get them in a position that they will receive. And our constant flesh efforts are only standing in the way of God. I haven't decided whether we're going to get back into the story yet or not. I love the story of Martha and Mary. And Jesus' words, Martha, Martha, you are troubled about many things. But Mary has chosen the better part. Folks, have we chosen the better part? Are we being servants of God? Or are we being servants of people? Are we moved because of their expectation of what we should do? Or are we moved because God says, I want you to go over there and I want you to do this? Are we like Jehoshaphat and we are siding with Ahab? We are siding with his son? We are siding with all these people? But God never called us to do it. We're going into battle and we're not fighting the battles we're supposed to fight. And we're getting ourselves wore out. Be a servant the way Jesus was a servant. Not the way people expect you to be one. Study Him. What He did. How He served. How He helped. What He gave. And what He didn't. Because there is no, better, no one better that we can learn from than Jesus. I am a flawed servant. I'm trying to work them out. But I'm a flawed servant. But Jesus is not. He's perfect. I will study him and find out. Because I can make a mistake in serving people. But Jesus didn't. What did he do? How did he do it? We're going to grow church. We're going to grow the kingdom of God. We need to be successful as we serve people, as we minister to people, as we help them. If we're constantly having non-success with the same people we're going to, we need to wise up and do what Jesus said.